This is the Boxing Betting Show with Tom Craze. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Boxing Betting Show. I am your host, Tom Craze. Now, if you're new to the show for 2021, this is a completely independent podcast that focuses, as the name suggests, on boxing betting, odds analysis, technique, strategy, theory, and everything in between when it comes to hopefully making some money from fights as a mere observer. Delighted to be back, really, after a brief winter hiatus. I don't know about you, and presumably this is all kind of lockdown related, but I find it hard to get back in the groove after Christmas. Motivation seems to have returned in a flash this week though, so I've been running around with all sorts of ideas. Um, Hopefully that's a good sign going forward. After the great start that was Garcia Campbell, the month of January was a bit of a write-off for boxing, um, even more so than it is in more normal circumstances, due to the British Boxing Board of Control justifiably suspending events on medical grounds. Last weekend though, saw what appeared to be a relatively routine, fairly low-key matchroom card headlined by Warrington Lara and supported by Barrett Martinez, generate two pretty huge talking points. I discussed these and of course looked ahead to Saturday's excellent main event with this week's guest interview. My next guest on the Boxing Betting Show is a man I actually only chatted to for an hour, I think yesterday or the day before, Um, but this is an interview I'm already looking forward to again actually, I'm quite excited about this one. If you've seen him speak elsewhere, whether on IFL or Boxing Social, somewhere else, uh, he's a really great guy, a uh, real straight talker, so this should be a lot of fun. A kind of a way of introduction, I'd wager that he is saved as a as a speed dial, or at least in the recently dialed list, of some of the most influential men in world boxing, uh, whether trainers, managers, promoters. Um, he's affectionately known in some circles as Boxing's Winston Wolf. Now, for those of you who get the Pulp Fiction reference, he is Boxing's kind of ultimate Mr. Fix-It a licensed matchmaker, manager, and now promoter in his own right, Al Siesta. How are you? I'm very well, man. Thank you. That was phenomenal introduction. Very sentimental and nice. Feel very good already. <laughs> good. Good. We're waiting to keep that up. We've got a lot to talk about today, um, and we'll kind of whip through what we can. I say you look after a lot of fighters in varying capacities, you know, whether manager, promoter, and, and more recently, I guess, promotionally. I think I'm right in saying Siesta Boxing was the first promotion back after lockdown last year last last spring um out in europe is that right you're absolutely right i was the first uk promoter who had shows arranged abroad and i spoke to the british boxing board of control and i understood the message yes they were right in terms of taking opening the boxing season in the uk british boxing i'm talking about and me taking fighters to Belarus and trying to think outside the box was great for the fighters and great for boxing, but not necessarily for the ethos and tradition of boxing in the UK. So I've been asked to hold the horses, and Frank Warren was the first UK promoter who resumed the activities after the lockdown. Okay, okay. And I um, was the second, I believe. You, Yes, that's right. So you put this... Um, quite neatly titled series actually called Cold Wars um, for some for anyone who's not familiar with it I guess which the concept of the broad concept is kind of a tournament of British fighters UK fighters versus kind of Russian and Eastern European fighters can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's going 
Yes, of course. Uh, Cold Wars, the concept was born during the pandemics, right before, slightly before. I was contemplating with that because I'm licensed with the British Boxing Board of Control. And I reside in the UK, but obviously Russian by birth. And this kind of synergy that I've got inside of realizing the UK boxing comparing to Russian boxing, Ukrainian, I thought that would be a fantastic thing. And obviously the cliche is Rocky film with Ivan Drago and... American mm-hmm. dominance and right. Russian kind of dominance. And, and I thought that would be interesting to do. And unfortunately, in the beginning, it, it kind of got transformed into something else. And I just utilized little certain conflicts. I'd say half political conflicts so I could fight Russians against Ukrainians. When British board abstracting me from taking UK fighters mm. to Belarus, I had to think outside the box very quickly. So I thought... I'll do Ukrainians against Russians, Kazakhstanis against Uzbekistanis, and so on and so forth. And it was only third or fourth show of Cold Wars when I can actually was allowed to bring UK fighters and fight against Eastern Europeans. And ideally, ideally, would be nice to have American fighters, UK fighters, Canadian, say NATO uh, defensive <laughs> bloc against kind of uh, ex-Soviet Union. That would have been brilliant, you know. And also, we share completely different boxing schools and they're both very exciting. And um, all the boxing fans would have won of fortune. So I'm trying to arrange something like that. You know, I'm working with Ryan Ford from Canada. I'm talking to our various fighters from United States. I'm speaking to some American promoters as well. So more to come, I'm sure, in 2021. I'm very excited. Fantastic. Now, as I say, in terms of the fighters you look you look after or have looked after, that's a pretty long list. Um, I'll throw some names out there for, for the guys listening. Um, Maris Bradis, um, Dmitry Chudinov, Edward Troinovsky. Uh, more recently, uh, people like Andre Sorotkin, Lufa Clay. Um, then last week, you kind of dropped a big, a big announcement, actually, a triple signing all on the same day. Uh, which was John Doherty, Zach Chelly, and Shaquille Thompson, which was, I think, pretty impressive. I think that's kind of said to a lot of people, certainly said to me that, you know, Siesta is, is starting to make some moves and, and quietly building up a nice little nice little stable there, and quietly and quickly, really. Um, what are your, your kind of plans for, you know, for Doherty and, and Chelly in particular? Because they're, they're on the verge of, or I say Chelly more, more likely now, but after Doherty had a setback. But, you know, what are your plans for those? They're, they're both campaigning, you know, super middleweight, um, Thompson as well down at middleweight. Presumably that you're not going to be boxing them off against each other anytime soon, but is that something you see down the line? Yeah, I can see that down the line. I mean, thank you for mentioning, by the way, all this great roster of fighters I work with. There are loads of fighters like Najib Mohamedis and David Avanisian, and uh, I brought David Avanisian to United Kingdom. I kickstarted his career. I remember driving him everywhere across the country for the sparring sessions with Kel Brook, Chris Eubank Jr. And, um, and just it was a great start. So, yes, many fighters I'm looking after in the capacity of advisor, manager, promoter. Uh, in terms of Zach Chelly and John Doherty, I- I'm a big fan of both. I remember Zach Chelly five years ago. I remember him before he debuted. He was very feisty, aggressive fighter with, with a fire in his belly. Really confident guy, good-looking guy, can fight, um, can punch. 
and and I always fancied it, but obviously they made their decision. I only started in boxing at the time in terms of making some small waves, and I haven't had a big enough profile to attract any attention for any UK talent. But I always was there observing and learning. So the right time arrived, and Zach Chaley signed with me. So John Doherty, I spoke to <coughs> John's father for for about two years now. I mean, since John's turning pro. And I matched a few fights of John Doherty during my times working with Matchroom. And I always thought that guy can do much more than the opponents were supplying for him. And um, this setback uh, with um, Jack Cullen, I think it's a consequence of what we've been doing with him in terms of he became complacent, he became comfortable. He learned that he dispatches everyone within few rounds yeah. and even stopping Anthony Fox put him in the false sense of security because no one really stops Fox, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that arrives Jack Cullen and I believe that John took it on a very short notice, didn't have enough preparation or training. It was about four weeks before the fight. And then he found out about announcement of the fight from social media rather than being told in person. And he said to me, Al, I was genuinely thinking I would dispatch Cullen within five rounds. And when I realized that it's not the case, I don't know how I survived that 10 because genuinely I didn't have anything left in the tank. So in terms of fighting um, Zach Chelly against um, John Doherty, yes, probably it's somewhere down the line when they much bigger fighters, when they've got something to offer to each other. Mm. I'd rather to have either a European title or final eliminator or some sort of eliminator uh, certainly bigger than just a regional title because they, they are great fighters on their own rights, both of them. And Zach has a great career and John has a great career ahead of them. And it doesn't mean that I can't build them up completely independently. In fact, they could fight on the same shows and they can spy each other and help each other in development. So I'm, I'm coming from that perspective. And, and, and if profile and circumstance in terms of boxing career move, the major move, will require them fighting each other, then we'll take that. I mean, we, we cross that bridge when we come to it, of course. There were some big talking points from last weekend and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on. Um, obviously, you had, well, we had one of the, probably what's going to be one of the betting upsets of the year come, you know, the year in review in December 2021. We'll be looking back in on February uh, 2021, Josh Warrington against Mauricio Lara. Um, massive upset. Uh, Lara was about eight to one. And not many people saw it coming. Although you mentioned to me earlier in the week that you weren't quite so surprised as, as other people. What did you see in Lara that so many missed? I mentioned to someone a week before Josh Warrington fought against Lara. I said, it really reminds me when someone brought Prescott, Brady's Prescott, an absolutely unknown entity mm. to fight Amir Khan. Um, even Eddie said in the interview that he said, I spoke to people and he said there was big interest from ESPN knockout from the Latin speaking publications and saying, oh, well, you're fighting Lara. And um, Hearn said, I thought, I, I, I don't even know who Lara is, but everyone is interested. So it's an indicator that the guys have decent. If the guy got a great record and the guy took the fight, they accepted the fight and, and the media and the press are excited, 
there are the indicators, they are the indicators that it's very competitive. Now, Josh Warrington, inactive, vacated the title, has been away from the ring for a very long time. Is it the right fight to take? No, but why did he take that fight? It's because of pandemics and there's no crowds. And unfortunately, and we all stress now this point, all the matchmakers, promoters, managers, fighters have to keep focus and have to stay active. If you don't stay active, you will miss out on the opportunity or if you take the opportunity, you have a massive chance to underperform. That's exactly what happened to Josh Warrington. And crowd wasn't there to support him. Ring rust, unknown entity with a Mexican Lara. It all That's what generated the line of thought that they, it's a bit of a press cut against Amir Khan in my head. I felt uneasy, you know, a few people who we share, common friends, and they tell you where they come from. I'm not trying to play Nostradamus in the hindsight. I told them, I said, guys, this could be a disaster. And I mean, I mean, Ben Farouki, who you know very well from Boxing News TV yep. and other guys. I mean, uh, Rob Tebbit, I told everyone I can see that upset coming. And, and um, that, that's the situation. That's what I saw. I mean, that's very clear. Statistically, just a common sense. Same as what I saw with Pavetkin White, because... Um, I know Dylan getting upset with me, always mentioning that, but Padetkin's pedigree, despite his age, is always out well on the scales of analysis with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Well, Al, next time you have one of your Nostradamus moments, make sure you drop me a, a text, please. I don't, want, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to miss any more eight-to-one shots <laughs> if I can help it. Um, the, other, the other talking point then on the show I wanted to, um, to kind of pick your brains on, Al, is, is obviously... Um, Zelfa Barrett against Kiko Martinez, which was was a decent fight, um, and I think it was fairly unanimous, kind of fan opinion at least, and a most pundit opinion that Kiko did enough to to win that fight. Uh, I know Andy Clark scored it a draw on Sky. I thought it was okay, but I think that was as as close as I could have it, and and certainly I, I didn't see Barrett pinching it. Um, however, Steve Bray and Bob Williams, um, judges, scored the fight 118-111 in Barrett's favour, um, and uh, Foster had it 116-113. There's some interesting quotes I've got here, which is actually via a DAZN article, but it's quoting Martinez in the Spanish newspaper, Marca. Martinez... Which, which Martinez? Sergio? Sorry, Kiko. Kiko. Oh, Kiko, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, so he's justifiably had a bit of a rant. He said, the, the judges hurt this sport. They didn't do their job very well. Barrett and his team believed they'd lost the fight. They did nothing to win. Even with uh, Mauricio Lara, it would have been happening. And I, I believe Warrington was up on the scorecards. He's, uh, Martinez said, they can fool the boxer, but they can't fool the public. Um, there were rounds when Barrett landed two punches. Do you have to go out and kill someone to win? What I want is a rematch. I think they want it to. This can't be less this way because it will stain boxing and that fighter. It has to be done. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. This will not be forgotten. A lot of damage has been done. Now, Eddie um, Hearn mentioned in an IFL interview, and he got it right, I think, that it's really hard for anything to change because exactly as we saw back in October with Ritz and Vasquez, the British Board of Control can pull in their judges for a hearing and say, and the judge can say, well, this is, this is my interpretation of the fight, and that's how I got to this scorecard. And it's the case is then dismissed. And, and Robert Smith came out previously and said, um, you know, that, that's what, what happened. And they issued a statement on Brits, Brits and Vasquez, and that was pretty much their words. Now, 
a few months later, we're here on that very same merry-go-round. So although Martinez is saying that, yes, it does hurt the sport, yes, it does hurt the UK's reputation, kind of a, a faltering one at that with our recent decisions, when he's saying it won't be forgotten, I, I tend to disagree with that because history shows us that it won't be long before we just move on to the next one. Now, Al, I've kind of laid the groundwork there for you to have a, a proper rant about this, and I hope you're not going to disappoint me. I know that you disagree with the decision as well, but where, where do you think the fault is here? Is it a fault with the scoring system? Is it the judges in particular? Where are these cards coming from? What happened with Martinez against Zelfa? absolutely devastating is disgusting it is absolute disgrace and i tweeted straight away i would ban you all from ever entering spain for this disgrace and that was my emotional outburst i actually i actually tagged in british boxing board of control in the beginning but then i thought oh you're already not liked you're already troublesome just delete that Delete that. Whoever people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The reason being, right, governing bodies can get away with anything in boxing. And I am stressing that again. Governing bodies, whoever they are, this is the weakest link in our sport. And the reason, because they don't have anyone to answer to. They don't have anyone to answer to. There's no policing organization where you can appeal, who can punish, who can disqualify, who can dismiss, who can forbid, who can ban. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, this is exactly what it is. And that is the problem. I mean, look, how embarrassing it is if, if a common man who is not professing to be a sweet science specialist, sees with an unequipped eye that Kiko Martinez, look, Zelfa hasn't done enough. He's a huge guy in the ring. He's head above height above Kiko Martinez. He's a great, strong specimen. It was, I mean, look, I text someone saying, has he forgot how to clinch? He kept running away. Yeah. Just clinch, put your weight on Kiko, get him tired, make him smother the fight. I don't know, where is the tactics? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. It was, it was weird, wasn't it? He, he was very much letting uh, Martinez fight his style of fight when actually, you know, you would have thought that Zelfa with the size and his reach. Yeah. He was like a bully. I yeah. agree with you. He was an absolute bully in the ring. He laid better shots. Yes, sometimes Zelfa planted his feet, planted his feet, had really good combination, but that were very, very non-common episodes. They were very rare. All I saw is a little bull called Kiko Martinez try to kill Zelfa Barrett all the fight. Imagine your mother or my mother. Imagine our parents watching this fight or people who are unaware of boxing. And, and they say, oh my God, this guy killing him. Do you agree? That's what they're going to be seeing. Yeah. That's what they're going to be seeing. And then suddenly someone decides to protect the UK fighter, protect another signing by big promotional company with a television contract. And look, this preservation of the home fighter really pisses me off. It's disgusting. Yeah. It discredits the promoter because every person in boxing think promoter behind this. 
is discredit boxing altogether because you don't want to bet on it anymore and you don't want to watch it. I know, right, okay, the Ryan Hodges, the director of boxing, of Siesta Boxing, I asked him, when I, I said to him, mate, did you see what happened to Warrington? He goes, what happened? I said, he goes, stop. He goes, you kidding me? I said, what didn't you watch? He goes, mate, I switched the TV off after hmm, right. yeah. Zelfa Barra's fight. Yeah. You can't blame me. You know, it turns people away from yeah. our sport on so many levels. People don't want to bet. People don't want to watch. They know it's bullshit. Promoters get stick. And fighters get stick. Didn't Zelfa Barra try? He did. Yes, he was, he, he was overperformed by Kiko Martinez. But now he affiliates with this con job. You know? I love British Boxing Board of Control in terms of their history in terms of their discipline, in terms of their medical, uh, in terms of their medical legislations, uh, the way they carry their business. But I massively disagree in terms of judging a referee. They're protecting their home fighters all day long. Everyone knows that coming to Britain, it's absolutely given against unless you knock the person out. And as you pointed out, Lara wouldn't win that fight if he wouldn't decide that before the within 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 the 12 rounds no well exactly you know he had to win that fight by knockout and he, and he did um it, well, yeah. vasquez Correct. exactly you said vasquez written yeah. i mean look vasquez written yes I tell you more. Vasquez written, I think, was a split decision. Is that correct? It was a split decision. One sixteen thirteen twice for written and one seventeen eleven, which was really wide. But yeah. one eighteen one eleven. So two rounds for Martinez and a drawn round. As I said um, before, I mentioned his name rather. Andy Clark was on the show before, and we we were talking a lot about how to score fights. And there's, there's a line I like there that everyone says: yes, boxing scoring is subjective. But there's a point where that subjectivity just becomes wrong. And the only two people standing on different different sides of that ring on Saturday night, how were they the ones that saw that 118-111 and the rest of the world saw something very, very different? Look, I love Bob Williams. He's a great guy. I love Terry O'Connor. He's a very nice guy. And I'm very, very friendly with his son, who's a great boxing trainer in Southampton area. I like Steve Gray, speaks few languages, very impotent man, knows boxing. These people are connoisseurs. These people are highly qualified. These people know everything about the game. So then you ask the question, how come how, yeah. the patient died on the operating table under this person's knife? after he's done thousands of operations. And that is the question which stems far further than what we're talking about now. And that's what sometimes I get so frustrated with all of this. And I'm thinking, oh, you're full of energy. You've got great contacts. You've got great family. You've got lots of opportunities. Why are you still in the shitty game? Why are you still in the why, what are you doing here? Go do business, go work with the oil companies, be a great translator, businessman, facilitator, make some startups. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I do. Why yeah. are you doing this? Because I love it. I love it. Someone tweeted me the other day and it was kind of out of the blue. They said, Tom, can I ask you a question? And they said, I, I, I'm just wondering how you feel about the sport. Do you love it like you used to? 10 years ago and they, they said because I 
I'm, I feel like I might be falling out of love with it. And I wrote back and I said, to be honest, it, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. And, and I don't know whether it's because my priorities change because I'm, you know, because I'm growing up and, and you know, because I've got other things going on, you know, priorities, other, other passions. But I said, you know what, I do feel, I do feel it waning a little bit. And I wonder how much of it is down to the, down to this bullshit, because when it gets to a good fight that taking all the judges, taking all the, the nonsense out of the ring away, all the, all the hype and all the, all the rubbish that people, you know, aren't interested in, if they're just a boxing fan, they just want to see good fights. And when that happens, it's still boxing is, you know, clearly for me, the best sport of them all. Beautiful. But for every one of those fights, you probably get three, four, five Ritz and Vasquez's, Barrett Martinez. And it really, it, it really grates on me. And, and I think it's increasingly grating on me as, as I'm getting older. Yeah, of course, I, all I want to do when I'm betting is make money. But as a fan of the sport, it just, it just you know, anyway. We could go on for we could go on for a while. But. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that that's that's what it is. That's what it is, and it discourages people to bet. I speak to Russian bookmakers daily, and they say our MMA any time of day we're ready to put all the lines, create the odds. Boxing, thank you, but no thank you. Mm. That look, it put it really it kills the sport. It kills our sport completely from every single perspective. Man, it's just it's it's a far deeper issue as well. It's a it's, it stems from the yeah. It's far deeper issue. What you see as a projection, it's it, it, it's a projection of unhealthy organism. What you see in the ring on television, this is a consequence. This is not the root of the problem. This is no. not the root of a problem. But people are not stupid. People don't know about governance. People don't know about belts. People see the fight and they see the smaller man bullying the bigger man and the bigger man gets the win. That's all they see and saying, what kind of bullshit is this? I don't want to spoil. Let me just turn to badminton or tennis or biathlon or whatever, football. Let me come back. Oh, I don't like boxing anymore. It's nonsense. So, yes, I know what you're saying. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I can tell you. And we're the only people who can change it. Managers, promoters, fighters, we are the people, we are the boxing community who can put the end to it and can completely change. I, I told you that section was going to be good. I was, I was looking forward to that rant. You're listening to The Boxing Betting Show. We'll move on then to the main event this weekend, at least the main event on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, Josh Kelly versus um, an owl has been teaching me on my pronunciation before we came on air. Uh, David Avenician, not Avenician, not Avenesian, David Avenician. And I'm told that I've got that right, hopefully. Brilliant. The fight itself then, uh, we, I won't dwell too much on the intro here. Fourth time lucky, as we know. Um, been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. Third time. Third time. Fourth time. Is it fourth time? Fourth it's the third time. time. Fourth time. No. Hold on. First time was when Josh Kelly got ill. In at the Wayne, I was there. Yeah, in that Newcastle. was in Sheffield. Sheffield, Sheffield, Sheffield. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Sheffield. Second time when he got moved from pandemic on 29th of March 2020. Correct. And it's the third time now. No, because it was scheduled for January. Oh, okay. Yes, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. And then sorry. the shutdown. Yeah. Oh my god. 
fourth time, fourth time lucky. Fourth time Obviously, lucky. Where's a fourth? There's a fifth. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so Kelly Avnissian then uh, for Avnissian's European title um, and the proper one, none of this um, WBO European rubbish either. Um, looks like we're all clear on the COVID front. There's no injuries, no illnesses. Um, time to kind of wrap them up in cotton wool until Saturday afternoon. Now, yeah. uh, as we said, Al, you know um, David better than most. I think I watched a, an interview the other day. If you had your way, um, he would have been a matchroom fighter long before Josh Kelly ever was. Four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago, I called John Wish and said, John, I've got fantastic fights, are incredible. Call Dominic Ingle, he'll tell you all about him. Call Chris Eubank Senior, he'll tell you all about him. He goes, Al, we don't sign foreign fighters unless they come with the TV package. And then well, recently we spoke, he goes, as usual, my friend, you were ahead of your time. Mm. I'm beginning up myself again. <laughs> <laughs> on, to the, on to the odds then. Um, now, yeah. it doesn't, you know, clearly this is, this is a, a closer on things. So it doesn't need me to tell you that there's not much in the odds really. Kelly is the favourite. Um, he's a pretty slim one. He's... Now the best price, eight to eleven favorite. So in US odds, that's minus one three eight. Um, that's mm. widely available across the industry. About fifty eight percent chance implied there. In terms of that odds history, it opened. I say opened. Opened for this attempt at the fight back in December, um, when it was effectively a pick'em um, with the bookmakers. So ten to eleven the pair. So there has been a bit of money actually for Kelly over the past couple of months. Um, that leaves. Avnissian, then the very slight underdogs. So six to five plus one twenty in US. Um, top price at the, well, as we as we speak now is five to four, um, so mm -hmm. plus one twenty five with both Skybet and Betfred. So forty four percent implied there. Uh, the draw um, between twelve to one and eighteen to one. That's with um, Bet Victor, five percent chance. And as you say, wouldn't it be just like it that after four attempts we have to get a fifth um, if with a draw and a rematch? 55%, 45%, 60-40 at a push in favour of Kelly. Do you agree with that? No. Absolutely disagree. At the moment, it's 50-50. At the moment, it's 50-50. Avanisian was favourite, firm favourite. It was 60-40, 75-35 for me in the previous fights. Yeah. Uh, it's just because I know Josh super well and I know David extremely super well. <laughs> so right. I know them both. Now, Josh manned up. I saw the latest pictures. Mm. Looks like a specimen out of space. He's put some like bulk space on, hasn't he? Yeah, space invader. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and also, I give Josh a credit in, uh, in the fight against um, Robinson. Okay. You know? And um, Robinson is a serious, serious world-level gatekeeper. And David Avenissan is off a very similar level. So the job in Kelly's hands, no less of a job than in that fight. So I truly believe it's 50-50. I still think that David could trouble seriously Josh Kelly. I won't give away how, because Adam Booth will not appreciate that, <laughs> neither Carl Greaves. I know them both very well. But I am a fan. I think it's a fantastic fight. I'm really looking forward to it. You, you can always tell a, a good fight, I think, by the fact you can argue for any of the four, I guess, five with the draw, um, the, the kind of the major outcomes. So a stoppage for either man, a decision for either man, assuming fair judges. Kelly, by decision, 
is considered actually to be the most likely outcome. Um, so yes. six, six to four um, plus 150, that's 40% implied. With that, Kelly, so he, he's 10 and 0, he's won six of the 10, oh, it's 10 one rather, obviously he's had that draw. I thought this was interesting. Kelly went the distance in his debut. Obviously we're not going to read much into that, but then in the last three of his last three, he's gone the distance. He, he's gone the, the full duration again and against fighters who are apart from Robinson, you know, far inferior to Avnissian, you've got Ranowski, Winston Campos, and he's kind of 15 months out of the ring now. Yeah. Someone asked me early in the week and they said, what, you know, what's your prediction? And I said, if I had to pick, it would be a Kelly decision, but I think he's going to have to go through hell to get there. And it would be that kind of gut check fight that he, you know, he, he probably needs, but Avnissian is a type of fighter Sorry, I've done it there, haven't I? Avnissian is the type of fighter who I think has some routes to victory, doesn't he? He can he can he can be busier, he can get on the inside, he can work the body. Um five to one for Avnissian to win a decision, um at 17%. It's been over three years since he won by decision, mainly because he keeps um stopping poor old um, Kerman yeah. over in Spain. But can you see an argument for that one? Right, I can tell you this. If 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 we're betting on Avanissian Kelly. Let's take in consideration where the fight takes place. Yeah. It takes place in the United Kingdom. What did we see with some decisions in Martinez against Zelfa Barrett and Vasquez against Luis Ritson? We and, saw yeah, that if Josh Kelly yeah. survive with one hand and one leg till round 12, he probably will get decision, correct? Well, yeah, it's, it's looking possible. Like that, isn't it? yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. People are going to say, oh, you dickhead. No. We just seen it. We've seen it one after another. So it could happen. Okay. Now, I truly believe. Okay, let's just put this fight apart. Josh has not experienced a power yet like what David Avanissian possesses. I agree. Yeah. Avanissian. Yeah. David has an incredible body work. He works the body fantastically and it's not the punching power is the timing and accuracy and the way he disguises them shots i can see and also josh is negligent towards his defense mm. he's he used to be sure if he fights uh, lamachenko risks but the difference between him and lamachenko used to be the matrix never used to get hit and josh used to get everything yeah you cannot behave or fight in this manner against David Abanissian. You're going to get stopped pretty quickly. Another thing, David is a severe predator, very sensitive, very intuitive. Whilst he sees blood or he smells blood or he sees indecision, he smells indecision or hesitation, he will eat you alive. So Josh needs to be at his absolute best to make that 12 rounds. And I don't know all these four postponements, what they've done to David's psyche. Mm. He's quite solid. He's pretty solid. But, I mean, I can also predict Josh can try, look good, early rounds, fantastic. They can grind it down and then quitting. Possible, possible. Or he can absolutely humiliate and dominate David Avanissian and it will be off day for David Avanissian and Kelly winning widely on the scorecards. Possible? Absolutely. Avanissian's stoppage um, is considered the most likely route by the bookmakers for him to win. So nine to four, um, that is at the moment, that's two twenty uh, plus 225 of Unibet, so pretty much 
better than two to one everywhere else. Um, so about 33% chance there. Now, the Kelly stoppage, a few people have mentioned this to me as something they quite fancy. Um, best price four to one, that's with William Hill. Uh, a general seven to two, so plus 350, 22%. As you say, he's a bigger man. He's added some bulk. He's big for the weight anyway. Yeah. Avnesian, though he's rugged, he's tough. You know, he was stopped by um, Kavilauskas, but he yeah. went the distance with Lamont Peterson. Obviously, Shane Mosley, you were working with him back then. Yeah. Is there any vulnerability in um, Avnesian? You know, he's not, he's older than Kelly, but he's not old. He's only 32. Uh, do you think that's the, the fight that, that Kelly will go here? Or do you think he's going to play it safe and, and try just outboxing him? Kelly will try to outbox him because yeah. I can tell you that David Avonisian is physically stronger than Kelly. Yeah. yeah. David Avonisian does 50 pull-ups and things like that. He's a freak. He's a freak. I know the guy very well. Look, the weights he, the weights he takes on when he does the weightlifting is stupid. Really? You know? Okay. Yeah, he's a great swimmer, not very good runner. Great <laughs> swimmer, can swim, hold his breath for a long time, swims great distances underwater. I mean, people who know him, I mean, Carl Greaves will tell you. Lifts very heavy weights, does incredible pull-ups, press-ups, and very, very just almost like, you know, one of those like a breakdancy type, can do loads on the ground. Um, strong can punch. Great timing, very crafty, good Russian boxing school. Man, Kelly got massive job in his hands. Massive. He's it's got a better engine as well, hasn't he? Kelly kind of takes takes some time out. You know, obviously we've seen him show off, but Avnesian is that kind of relentless style that he is. He he's not going to give him that space, is he? No, he won't give him a space. But I, you, you see, the problem is, yeah. Um, David can be hit. And he could be put down as well. So Josh, maybe with timing inaccuracy, um, could do something. But I still fancy if Josh gonna do it, it will be going going to distance. Outboxing him, overwhelming. David needs to have a real off day in order to surrender easily. Real off day. Look, it's it's really hard to predict, but the most common things which bookmakers predicting and which I in you in my heads mm -hmm. are probably the most correct ones because this is this is what common sense kind of dictates you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay then. Tough uh, fight, beautiful fight. It's a lovely, it's a great, it's a great yeah. affair. You know, you know, um, do, do you know how can Josh Kelly can win this fight? Like Anthony Joshua won against Ruiz too. Yeah, to stay out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because if he tried to do bravado and engage with David, you're going to get knocked out. Well, and the big difference between that and Joshua Ruiz is that Avenician is not going to show up out of shape. He's, you know, no. and, he, and he's not going to look as meek. Yeah, yeah. Um, time then, I think, to wrap this up, Al. Um, but we're going to end it with, um, let's call it the Al Siesta pick of the week. If you had to pick one of the bets that we've just mentioned there, one of the prices, what would it be if you were a betting man? Uh, give me give 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 me the roster of bets. So we've got Avanisi yeah. and Kelly. Who we've got as well. So let, let's just kind of recap there. So we've got uh, Kelly um, outright eight to eleven. We've got Avanisian outright at uh, five to four. Kelly decision six to four. Avanisian decision 
five to one, Kelly stoppage four to one, and the Abnician stoppage nine to four. A draw at eighteen to one. Right. Okay. I will pick Kelly Abnician draw. <laughs> I will pick Abnician late stoppage. I would pick Kelly points. One of the three. Oh, you want me to pick one of the I want you to pick, I want you to pick one. You want me to pick one? Process of elimination. We're down to three. Let's David Abonishan, late stoppage. Fantastic. Our siesta, thank you so much. It's been um, fun, as always, to talk to you. Great having you on. You're welcome, my brother. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And if you thought that was entertaining, you should have listened to the stuff. I had to cut out and leave on the cutting room floor, uh, mainly for legal reasons. On to a brief look at the undercard then. And as with most shows these days, it was hit by a couple of pullouts in recent weeks. Anthony Fowler was withdrawn from his fight following a positive COVID test. And the scheduled rematch between Amy Timlin and Carly Skelly will also have to wait for another day. The best fight on the undercard, and honestly it's not too far behind Avenician and Kelly in terms of intrigue and potential action, is Florian Marku versus Ryland Charlton. A fight at welterweight between two recent matchroom signings, this figures to be an absolute bore for as long as it lasts. Two guys who are really going to throw everything at each other, two big, big punches. How quickly perception can change, eh? Uh, before Marku's draw against Jamie Stewart last time out, which I felt he was hard done by him, frankly. Um, I felt sure he would probably open as a firm favourite against Charlton. That's not to say, though, that he was all that impressive against Stewart. While I felt he did enough to win, and while his power still isn't in doubt, he did look a bit one-dimensional uh, and seemed to run out of ideas late on. Instead, then, Marku opened at slightly north of even money back in December before the pair were shuffled to uh, about even um, 10 to 11, uh, each making it a pick and fight. That was a direct reaction, or indeed overreaction, I felt, to that Stuart performance. And since then, the support has come in for the Albanian as expected. There's actually been a bit of a move on Marku since, um, and he's now a pretty clear favourite. 8 to 13, uh, so minus 163, uh, is now the best price you'll find. That's with William Hill and Betfred, um, and shorter offered elsewhere. Indeed, 4 to 7 and 8 to 15 seem to be the prices approaching the industry mean. At a top price, that makes Marku a 62% shot, which is a far cry really from the effective 50-50 we saw just a couple of months ago. Charlton, of course, is a friend of the show and comes into this following his mightily impressive and very satisfying thrashing of Joe Laws. As he was in that fight, at worst then, a 3-1 to one shot or so, um, with bigger prices available earlier too, he is the underdog again here. With Marku having been clipped in, the Norfolk man can be had at 6-4, to four, so plus 150, which gives him an implied probability of 40%. A few points here. If I'm a Charlton backer or someone considering a bet on Charlton, the first thing I'm looking at is the weight. And really, I don't think it's an insignificant concern. As you heard on the show, he took the fight against Laws at welterweight because of the opportunity it presented and the fact that he didn't really see too much in Laws to worry him. He also said, though, that 147 isn't his natural weight, that he's more of a light welterweight and could possibly go down further still. Marku is a solid, filled-out, kind of physical tank of a welterweight and by far a more dangerous fighter than Laws, no matter uh, what the Charlton camp may kind of bluff. Um, this fight was publicly negotiated for much of the process, really, between Sam Jones, um, who handles Marku, and Charlton's manager, Dan Naylor. 
And the initial sticking point, or perhaps just a negotiation tactic from uh, Naylor, was that the was was the weight limit. Now, a catch weight was discussed and eventually forgotten about. This is now at the full 10 stone 7 welterweight limit. Does that suit Marku more? Well, we'll see. On the flip side though, um, and in Charlton's favour, Charlton took that Laws fight at quite short notice. And as he told me, he felt he could have done a lot better in that fight, or even better than he did, with a full camp. He's had that now, or something much closer to. Uh, and for this Marku fight, he should be much better prepared. And you'd hope better adjusted for the weight and the brute challenge, really, of Marku that comes with it. I think, though, this is still a very tricky fight for which to pick an outright winner, um, which is why, I guess, I'm looking forward to it quite so much. Looking at the method of victory market, which does, of course, require you to pick a winner, uh, a Marku stoppage is thought to be the most likely outcome. A general price of 15 to 8, so plus 188, uh, suggests a 35% chance. A Marku decision is a best price 5 to 2. Um, that's with Paddy Power Betfair, that's plus 250, uh, 29%. For Charlton, again, it's the stoppage that's offered as the most plausible route to victory, um, just shy of 3-1. to one. Uh, 11 to 4 is the best price there, so plus 275, 27%. Uh, and the decision at 5-1, to one, which possibly is a little bit big compared to uh, the Marku price would be the same. The draw then out at 20-1, to one, best price with Bet Victor, but 14-1 to one is pretty much the consensus elsewhere. If I'm picking a bet here though, it's looking at the distance market. This is the first scheduled 10 rounder for both guys, don't forget. And I think it's probably unlikely they're all required given how this looks style-wise. The fight to go the distance then is five to four, um, so plus 125, 44%. But that feels like not only a pretty nerve-wracking watch on Saturday night, but one that's quite hard to argue for, I think, at this price. Although, of course, we can't be too certain of either guy's chin or durability either at this point. Instead, then, the fight not to go the full 10 rounds is a best price 8 to 11, uh, so minus 138, 58%, uh, and can also be found at 4 to 6, uh, a general 60%. I actually make it a little bit shorter than that, personally, um, and so both prices, uh, 8 to 11 and 4 to 6, look a solid odds-on selection to me this weekend. Elsewhere on the card, there's not too much to shout about, really, but it is interesting that both Jordan Gill and Robbie Davis Jr. have been flown in Mexicans, after last week's Mauricio Lara-shaped catastrophe. Jordan Gill is a fighter I really like and rate him highly. Um, at 8-1, to 8-1 um, to one on, a 1-8 to eight favourite, 1-10 to 10 worst price, he's not figured to have any problems with Cesar Juarez. Juarez should be a familiar face to most of you. Um, he's still only 29, but he must be an old 29 at that. Um, fought Nanito Donaire, uh, what feels like an age ago, for Angelo Leo, Carlos Castro, Dog Bay, Uwasa. Uh, so some reasonable names on his record, but the key point is that he lost all of those five fights, um, obviously at a certain level, um, and three of them by stoppage. He comes into this having lost back-to-back -back fights against the aforementioned Leo and Castro, and all by one against Castro were down at Super Bantam. This is a featherweight contest. Gill's record of seven KOs and 25 wins doesn't suggest that he's much of a puncher, but I think that's a bit deceptive. Um, he's very, very accurate, really stylish fighter as well. Um, and I'd be hugely surprised if he doesn't look very good here indeed. The outright price though is obviously too short to be interesting, but looking at the methods, the Gill decision is the odds on shot at 10 to 11. So minus 110, 52%. I think the value here though is with the Gill stoppage. Now, it will probably come past the midway point if it comes at all, 
but at six to four, so plus 150, uh, 40%, I think that's a touch overpriced and could be a nice above even money shot uh, considering Juarez's form, his recent step up in weight and his general kind of miles on the clock. Thank you for listening in today. Um, it's great to get back in the swing of things and here's to a profitable and prosperous rest of the year. Um, as a kind of a kickoff in preparation for season three of the show, I put together a feedback survey to get your thoughts as listeners on the podcast so far and how it can be improved going forward. I've had some great responses already, so thank you for those who've completed it, um, but I'm always open to hearing more. Now, to tempt you in as a little incentive, I've added in a free bet of £25 on the Canelo Yildrim card. Um, it was going to be your choice of Canelo Yildrim or Herring Frampton 2 before that one got pushed back. So if you do fancy a free bet of £25, um, this is for UK listeners only, I'm afraid. It's not a lot of money, of course, but for two or three minutes of your time completing the questionnaire, that's not a bad hourly rate. You'll find the link to the survey on both my Twitter, which is at Tom Craze, and the podcast Twitter too, which is at Boxing Bet Show. Unfortunately, Twitter won't allow me to enter anything longer. As always, if you've enjoyed the show or indeed previous editions, please do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts if you are on an iPhone. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Please do gamble responsibly. And I'll see you again next week. 